of 2024 is underway it is tuesday january 2nd hopefully your uh, new year was safe hopefully your new year uh, is going to be prosperous and uh, hopefully you continue spending it with us on flames talk we are underway this hour on apple spotify google amazon or wherever you get your podcast we got a power hour ahead for you including the daily flames round table Aaron Vickers will join us, and Derek Wills as well. My name is Pat Steinberg, and we're kicking off this hour. It's a Tuesday, and no different than in 2023 and 2024. We kick off the hour of Flames Talk, usually the first hour on a Tuesday, with our NHL insider Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Frank, happy 2024, my friend. How are we doing? And thanks for doing this as always. Happy New Year, pal. Uh, yeah, excited to be back with you. 2024, feeling refreshed, trying to get my arse in gear, a little skinnier. We'll see what happens. Well, Just like uh, every other sad, <laughs> sad fat guy uh, to start a new year. Hey, New Year's resolution. So let's, let's, uh, let's follow through. I like it. Um, and it's been, a, uh, it's been a couple weeks since we've spoken with you, so it's uh, good to have you back on. And uh, good, good holiday season. It went well. It was uh, what you wanted and expected. Yeah, it was good. It was nice to disconnect for a bit. Good. Always so glued to the phone, the the hamster wheel. It kind of never stops spinning, but uh, it was nice to to get a break. I was honestly sure. happy because I, I asked if you wanted to come on with us last week. I was honestly uh, pretty happy when you said no because I would have felt bad bringing you on during the holiday season. So uh, I was That's happy. A lie. Uh, no, it absolutely is. I'm like, I don't want to tell. I'll, I'll ask him. <laughs> You know, it's, it's all there's there's incentive for you as well, but uh, I didn't want to uh, I, di- I didn't want to tax you or uh, take you away from the family. So uh, I'm glad that you had other plans and told us to beat it. Um, well, since it has been a couple of weeks since we've last spoken, and now that we are into the calendar year, we're kind of now. It, it, it feels like it feels like storylines in a lot of ways around the league take another step when you move into the next year, and you know we're just a little over two months away from this year's trade deadline. What uh, what's what's your gut feeling on where things stand with Calgary's? three big pending UFAs. Like, is it, uh, is it, has it changed? Has it moved anyway? Or are we still kind of in the same spot that you've been for the last number of weeks? Yeah. I think when you take a look at the calendar turning to 2024, really what stands out to me is I think things have kind of crystallized for the flames. I mean, not to say that, you know, something crazy can't happen or there's some unexpected run, but I mean, when I look at this team and, and yeah, I mean, they got through the gauntlet of their schedule in pretty decent shape, seven, six, and two, something like that. Yep. And it was fine, but I still look at the standings and this team is sub 500. They've got a mountain of teams to climb over. The Edmonton Oilers are probably a stone cold mortal lock for 
won at least one of the wild card spots. They're the hottest team in the NHL since November 10th. I I just I look at Seattle who gets on a bit of a roll. Like Minnesota's been, you know, their recent injuries notwithstanding, one of the better teams in the league since they made their coaching change. Like I just don't see the path. Yeah. I don't see the path for the Flames to get there. And I think what happens next, the easiest way to answer it is this. You're not winning with these guys. Why would you try and keep them? Yeah. Yeah. And and certainly when you take a look at the situation they're in, the teams they got to jump, how far back they are. And and you're right, the, the teams they got to jump all playing really well. It's not like it's not like Arizona and Nashville who are holding down those wild card spots have decided to to throw it in reverse either. So yeah, the 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 situation is tough. The path is difficult. The uh, different odds and, and the different chances of making it remain really low and, and sub 10%. So it, 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 it doesn't look very promising from a playoff standpoint. And, you know, I, it, it seems as if, and, and you're, you're the insider, you're, you're the one checking in with people around the league on a regular basis, on a daily basis. So from the outside, it seems like we're hearing more teams connected to these certain players over the last number of weeks. Are you starting to maybe dial in more, I don't know, uh, some, some more specific landing spots for these three UFAs as we move closer to the deadline? That part has been a little bit more difficult to figure because – from my the best I can tell, the reason why there hasn't been more players moved out other than Nikita Zadarov isn't because the Flames haven't been ready to go. My understanding is the Flames have been eager and open to dialogue and ready to make changes. It's really been other teams that haven't gotten serious yet. Yep. And I think there's been a lot of tire kickers. I think there's been a lot of teams that have checked in on certain players. Like everyone wants to draw the line between Toronto and Chris Tanev. And I think it's a fair one to draw. I get it. I think Toronto is most certainly interested, but to this point in time, I think they're trying to wait and see what other pieces in Toronto's perspective, what other pieces might develop on the market. And do they also have a goaltending situation to solve? I think the Colorado Avalanche are one of the teams that have been, you know, inquiring about or in the mix for Elias Lindholm. But I think they've also actually had their attention focused elsewhere on some other pieces. Like, I think they're one of the teams that has been calling the St. Louis Blues about Kevin Hayes to solve their center solution Mm. or to be their center solution. So I I think there's a lot of teams that have a, a bunch of different balls in the air that really haven't um, come to the table with anything yet that makes Craig Conroy and his team even really that intrigued. Now, that's going to pick up here in the next three to five weeks big time, but I don't, I don't think it's there quite yet. Well, and, and I don't think anything's changed. Would, would your intel suggest that, as, as has been the case going all the way back to the summer, that Craig Conroy and company are very content to be patient and, and take as much. Obviously, there is a deadline a little more than two months away, but they're, they're willing to continue to be patient and, and push it close to that deadline. Is that, is that kind of what you continue what, to read as well? What alternative do they have? If no one's making you a serious offer, why, um, like, what, what's there to do? So, 
from my perspective, the Flames haven't even really had anything on their desk that mm-hmm. warrants consideration. Yep. And other than that, I what can you do but sit tight? The the last guy I want to ask you about, and, and I ask you about him only because there there seems to be more online buzz about him. I see it more on social media. I see it more on our text line. I I even you know you see, you hear it a little bit more. What what's your read on Jacob Markstrom, and what's your read on what things could look like between now and the deadline? Is is that something that the Flames moving him is what I'm talking about? Is is that something the Flames would realistically explore? in season this year? I have a hard time believing it. First off, he's got the full no move Mm -hmm. and I'd have a hard, you know, I'd have a hard time believing he wants to. Uh, Maybe he's open to a change of scenery. Maybe I'm misreading it. But the fact of the matter is this, what we're seeing now is a market correction in teams paying goaltenders outside of Connor Hellebuck and the two guys in New York, Sorokin and Shesterkin, Thatcher Demko in Vancouver, Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay, outside of like five or six guys, really what the rest of the league is realizing is whether you pay your guy five or six million dollars like Markstrom makes. And, and look, at one point in time, Markstrom was in that category probably, but he's not there right now. And he's even this season, as well as he's played and bailed out this team, he's his numbers and metrics would point to him still being just slightly above average. Teams aren't going to be taking on a six million dollar obligation, not just for this year, but the two following it, unless there's a real reason to do so, unless something about Jacob Markstrom and and the the classification of the team in contender mode really warrants them to to do something like that. So I, I think it's a, a real long shot that Markstrom is in conversation. I'd put it, you know, somewhere around a 10 to 15% chance, something okay. like that. I mean, never say never, but it's what we're seeing is, is everything going the other way, pay goalies less. And it's, you're going to see this summer in our annual game of goaltending musical chairs, goalies are going to get even less. Yep. We're, we're talking with Frank Saravalli. He is our NHL insider, Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. He joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk. Is is there going to be decent goaltending action? Like, do, do we see goaltenders on the move to try to solve some of these issues other teams have between now and the deadline? Is that something you're anticipating, Markstrom notwithstanding? I don't think so. I mean... I think you could see a few fringe guys moved here or there, but this is what the Oilers came back to. I think this is the same due diligence process that Brad True Living and the Toronto Maple Leafs are going through right now. We could go out and spend assets to get a goalie, but are we totally sure he's going to help us? And that's really the spot that everyone's worked themselves into is the guys that are available and could be on the move for the most part aren't really sure bets. And at that point, you might as well just stick with what you have. And look at the Leafs this week. They send down Ilya Samsonov. He goes to the Marlies and he's not even practicing or playing this week. Total, hard, physical, and mental reset. That's what they're trying to accomplish. Right. And the best play for them is to 
hope that they could rehab him. And if not, the second best thing is to to dump his salary so that coupled with the Klingberg money that Tree Living has on the cap, they could really go out and, and spend to maybe not even bolster the goaltending position because maybe Joe Wall and Martin Jones are enough that maybe they could just, you know, boost their blue line to the point where that helps and solve some of the goaltending issues that they have. Hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting because you know, you've got, whether it's Toronto or Carolina or New Jersey, you've got some, you've got some teams that could definitely use it. And yet to your point, how often do those not only not only is there the risk reward thing, but I even think about you know yes you you've got to think of Devin Dubnik about a decade ago with the Wild. I think of um, you know there's a few others that have worked in season, but I, I I think of like the last the last time a big goaltender moved in season was Ryan Miller from Buffalo to St. Louis, and that ended up being an absolute disastrous move for the Blues that they basically wasted a bunch of assets and got nothing out of it. So no. It's a good point. That that seems like the hardest position in season to really be able to rectify. I think it's just the hardest position in general to rectify. Period. Yeah. I mean, you tell me outside of those five or six guys, who like who yep. would you even like let's let's pretend that's everyone else outside of those six guys are available. Who are you going after? I mean, Soros, maybe, maybe Carter Hart, like, but again, pretending that those guys are available. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would include Ottinger in the five or six. Right. Of guys that are, are uh, solidified. Yeah. Yeah. And, and outside of that, I mean, good luck. Nope. Agreed. Um, and I like, do I think that Markstrom could upgrade a team like New Jersey? Yes. Do I think that the devils would pay a significant price to bring that in, even with a little money retained. That's where I'm a little more skeptical to your point. So be interesting to watch. They um, might pay a price, but it's not going to be significant. Yeah. And certainly is it enough for him to say, Hey, you know what? I want to move my myself and my family to a different country and, and then park myself there for the next two years and be locked in. Yep. Frank, uh, you mentioned the Oilers, uh, and they have definitely turned their season around. What'd you say, the hottest team in the NHL since November tenth? So what? Uh, seven twenty-seven points percentage. Seven twenty-seven since November tenth. Yeah, that'll that'll turn the season around, and and they've got their eyes set on a playoff spot where everybody in the NHL believed that they belonged to start the season. So this is just kind of the the correction that many of us expected. What is uh what does Ken Holland do between now and the deadline? I know there's not a lot of wiggle room cap wise for his group, but you know, what are you expecting from Edmonton between now and the deadline? There's no wiggle room cap wise, and really the the first thing that they need to figure out is what are we doing with Jack Campbell? Mm-hmm. Because I hate to make this all about goaltending, but if you don't solve the cap situation now you're not going to be able to go out and acquire anyone short of dumping other pieces on your roster, which then you get into an equation of, are we actually improving the team? It's pretty rare for a team in contender mode to get to the deadline and send pieces away as part of a trade. I know the Oilers did it last year in trading Tyson Barry, but 
They had Evan Bouchard step in on their power play, and it actually got better over the last stretch of the season with Bouchard running it instead of Barry, which was a rarity. And I just think moving forward, when you have $3.9 million in buried salary cap space due to um, Campbell being in Bakersfield, you've, I think the first thing you have to do in season is pay the price to get rid of him. I don't care if you need to spend assets this year and next year, whatever it might take in order to make it happen. Mm-hmm. This is a burn the boats type year for the Oilers, I think. I think with what they've been through, and yeah, have they shown some cracks and holes at times? Yes. But with this core, with this top six forward group being the best that it's been during Connor McDavid's tenure, Zach Hyman's on pace for 50 goals. Huh. They they have to make hay. Like They cannot go through this year and say, man, geez, I wish what would have happened if, I wonder, would we have maybe gotten to the cup final or would we have won had we went out and traded that first round pick that five years from now no one's going to think about had we gotten a chance to win the cup this year? Well, and the other part of that is if you're Ken Holland, you know that you know five years from now – Probably not going to be with the Oilers, and and so if you're him, you're this you're, is it. This, this is, is his it. last year. Yep. Yeah, and if you're the Oilers, you know that. Look, no nobody's suggesting that Connor McDavid or Leon Drysaddle aren't going to be elite players, but they're only, as far as I know, they're only getting older, and and so yeah, the the window the window is still open, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I'm curious to see what type of moves they make. I like the way you put it, a burn the boats type year for the Edmonton Oilers. Just a few more with Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off NHL insider. He joins us on Tuesdays here on Flames Talk. Uh, while we weren't speaking, while you were on uh, the holiday hiatus, Ottawa made their front office moves. They solidified their front office, including Steve Steos being named the permanent gem- general manager. Um, what what now? Now that the, the Sens have their front office crew set, what are you expecting from the Sens who aren't going to make the playoffs? Do, do you expect them to be an active team between now and the deadline? I think it's too soon to answer that. I think they are in evaluation mode. They've got a fresh set of eyes joining their front office in Dave Poulin, who I had a chance to work with for six years and is such a sharp and attention to detail oriented guy. Um, so they've also elevated Ryan Bonus and Steve Steos holds the GM title and the president of Hockey Ops. Don't read too much into him holding both titles because okay. it's really going to be a pretty collaborative effort. And Jacques Martin, their coach, or their interim coach, I should say, is really still in evaluation mode himself. And I think his words are going to hold a lot of weight. Now, Michael Anlauer, their owner, had said this team has all the talent that it needs in order to be a playoff team. And I I would tend to agree with that. There's something missing. I don't know if it's multiple ingredients. I don't know if they decide to sell off a piece or two. I don't know if they decide to try and add before the deadline to try and better position themselves for the summer. Um, When I say I don't know, I'm not saying that to play coy. I'm saying it because the Sens front office themselves, they don't know what direction this is going to go. And, and that's really the position that they're in at the moment. Are you expecting the 
trade market to to pick up? Are we expecting now that you know the calendar's turned and uh, we're almost in that two month window to the deadline? Do things start to pick up a little bit here? I mean, I, I think we're in a spot where some teams that are kind of on the fence are really starting to figure things out and and crystallize. Like, you know, not that we ever had any confusion about which direction the Carolina hurricanes would be heading, but like they've stabilized things. They're three, six, three and one in their last 10. They're now kind of comfortably in a, in a playoff spot and in second place in the Metro and they're going to be good to go. The Pittsburgh penguins, on the other hand, uh, they've sort of continued to tread water. The Detroit red wings have gone the other way. I think some of these other teams that are, um, were kind of on the fence. It's becoming clear what they are. And for me, I think outside of Calgary, there's really no more interesting team to watch than Pittsburgh. And the reason for that is Kyle Dubas was kind of clear. Like he said in December that they had six weeks to get their act together. And I think all we've seen is more of the same. Right. Yeah. They've won three in a row and, you know, they're in a spot where they're really not terribly far away. And at times they've played good hockey. And some would say that, hey, their goal differential, the way that they've been able to score, they should be getting better results than they are. But at the end of the day, the results are what they are. You are what your record says you are. And they're going to have some really tough decisions to make. Like Jake Gensel, um, this this could be it. And he could be like, you could see a spot where Jake Gensel jumps over someone like Elias Lindholm on my trade targets board if he truly becomes available because – I think a lot of teams would view him as a sort of missing piece to, to go out and win a Stanley cup, having won a couple already himself. So um, they're a team I think to watch really closely here. Kyle Dubas hasn't had his, his hands on this team all that long, but if you go a second straight year with Crosby and Malkin being fully healthy and And you you miss the playoffs again, like you're probably, trending in the wrong direction and in terms of what they do with their roster it's going to be time to pick apart the pieces it's funny uh first of all uh that uh, latest trade targets list are we uh are we in a window as to when the next targets list from frank is coming out monday two months to the day ahead of the deadline nice. i am in full send full send trade targets mode full send trade uh, deadline mode. The countdown is on and, uh, 66 days to go. I'm, I'm getting ready. You're going to see a whole host of content on dailyfaceoff.com. Nice. Well, and, and it's funny you bring up Gensel because that just jogged my memory. I was reading a piece from your colleague, Matt Larkin recently. And, and he, he's one of the, one of the guys that could shift the balance basically is what he was saying in, in the NHL between now and the end of the season was Gensel. Like that, is that a guy that, that Dubis seriously looks at moving i know he's ufa and and i know that the the penguins are in the situation they are so that's a guy that that dubis would seriously think about moving hey i think he'd have to i mean like let's like let's call the penguins what they are the oldest team in the league that as i just said will have missed the playoffs two consecutive years if that's indeed what ends up happening he's a pending ufa who turns 30 what are you going to sign him for Mm-hmm. What's the point? Your team is going into a full scale 
tear it down to the studs rebuild. Well, I mean, why would you shell out an eight-year contract extension other than for good feelings <laughs> to pay Jake Ensel to do what? To be the best player on the 30th place team in the league? Like, yeah. You're way better off trying to jumpstart that and, and bring in assets. That's essentially what the San Jose Sharks did with Tomas Hurdle. I I can I, I still I Me still neither. cannot believe that I, I so exactly what I just said to you about the Flames you're not winning with these guys why are you trying to keep them the worst part was the the Sharks had an interim GM at the time in Doug in uh, Joe Will that he was the guy steering the ship and they it was almost like they. We don't know what to do. We don't know who we're hiring, but let's just hurry up and make sure we give this guy 65 million bucks so that we can what? Have a nice cuddly security blanket at night? Like what what are we doing here? Yeah. I still that one I still do not understand what was still makes no sense to me. Um okay, and that's that's a good cautionary tale. Uh that's uh, that's well said by you. Just a couple more. I And, and by the way, yeah. um so Hurdle and um, obviously you've had Logan Couture out for the season. Both these guys have massive contracts, of course. Um, Tomas Hurdle goes to 2030 and Logan Couture goes to 2027. The Sharks only have one retained salary transaction left because Brent Burns chews up one this year and next. Mm-hmm. And Carlson has three additional years after this one. So provided that Logan Couture is actually going to come back and play hockey, which he's been out long enough that makes me wonder, only one of those guys is ever going to be able to get out of there. Jeez. Yep. I don't know. And I know I made that sound really bad. I mean, they are making $8 million a year. It's not like they're in jail, but they're in hockey jail. They, they absolutely are in hockey jail. And it's why, it's why I still cannot wrap my head around what... Because as much as I don't understand what San Jose was doing, what was Hurdle doing wanting to re-sign there? If you, yeah, I know there was millions upon millions of reasons, but I'm pretty sure you could have gotten pretty close to the same millions elsewhere. Anyway, I digress. What'd you make of the uh, What'd you make of the Winter Classic on New Year's Day? I loved it. I thought they did such a good job. I thought the attention to detail, the aesthetics, the look. Um, I think Seattle has turned itself into a hockey town. I was just there a few weeks ago for the Board of Governors meeting. Anytime you you know roll by a local watering hole, they've got ne- uh, Seattle Kraken neon signs out front. They sell out T-Mobile Park. They had all the legends from other Seattle sports teams there, the Seahawks, the Sonics, the Mariners. The only thing I didn't like was this, the Kraken, uh, what, what would you call those? The the entrance drip? <laughs> you didn't uh, like that? I wasn't a fan. Where did, it, where did it rank compared to the Flames and their overalls on the on It the was pretty, class. pretty far down the list. Like it was not very, I don't, it just wasn't that inventive. Like, yeah. yeah hey, they're at the Pike place market throwing fish. It was very, yeah, it was, but it's, it was very on the nose. I'll give it that. It's, it's, it was a little cheesy and look, um, I thought Vegas crushed it with the, with the Elvis. Uh, yeah. Like Mark Stone coming off the bus, just, 
popping chest hair everywhere. Like that was, that was tremendous. Yep. Yep. And boy, I mean, Joey Decord had their numbers. So it was a, uh, it was a fun game as well. I thought it was a whole lot closer than the three, nothing score would suggest. So, uh, that was, uh, that was neat to see as well. Frank, it's great to have you back. My friend, uh, we'll do it again next Tuesday, but, uh, awesome to have you on board for 2024. Uh, Hey, enjoy the 66 days till the trade deadline, my friend. Yeah. I'm going to have no life between now and then. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's what you sign up for. Uh, that's why you're the best in the biz. Thank you, pal. See you, buddy. Have a good year. He is uh, Frank Saravalli. He is our NHL insider. He joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk, and he joins us on da- from Daily Faceoff. He also joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Come on in and enjoy hockey and football game day specials at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Pick up and delivery also available at Atlas Pizza, 403-248-3344. Flames Talk is live on Calgary's Hockey Station, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time now for the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. For popular colors, trims, and even wheel sizes, check out the best curated collection of certified pre-owned Mercedes-Benz online at mercedesbenzcountryhills.ca. It's Steinberg. Aaron Vickers, and now the voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. First of all, hello, Vicks. Happy hey, New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, hello, Mr. Wills. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. Um, got a small picture and a big picture question to kick off the New Year on the Daily Flames Roundtable. We'll start little picture. Uh, how do we like in Sunday's uh, 2023 finale, a 4-3 win on New Year's Eve over the Philadelphia Flyers? How do we, uh, we like that line of Lindholm between Huberdeau and Sharon Govich uh, reunited the line that uh, started things off in training camp back in September? What do we make of them against the Flyers? Well, it's probably the best those three guys have looked together. And that game against the Flyers was interesting because the Flames were coming off a one-goal loss, game they could have won. And Ryan Huska really shook things up. Three new lines, three new pairings in that uh, 4-3 victory over the Flyers. And, you know, basically they swapped their left wingers on their first and third lines. And, you know, one of the impacts of that was they put that line of Michael Backlund, Andrew Majapani, and Blake Coleman back together, and they kind of picked up where they left off. They had six points between them in that game. And I thought there was something there between Lindholm, Huberto, and Sharon Govich. And I think it was worth circling back on for a couple of reasons. Number one, you could reunite that Backlund, Majapani, Coleman line. But number two, when they were together at the start of the season, Elias Lindholm wasn't playing at the level we're used to see him playing at. And Yegor Sharangovich mm-hmm. looked like a guy who was you know, trying to find himself and, and trying to figure out where he fit in, how he fit in on this team. And, you know, he's been, I would say, one of their best players over the last couple of months. So he's playing at a much higher level and he's shooting the puck. And I think you need to have at least one shooter, if not two shooters, playing with your best passer in Jonathan Huberto. And I think that in Lindholm and Sharon Govich, Huberto is playing with the two best shooters the Flames have at forward on this team. So on paper, it works, but it's always worked on paper. Uh, I thought it worked better on the ice uh, in that game against the Flyers, and Huberto made some plays, and it was good to see someone finally finish one of those plays off. Uh, Dennis Gilbert, of all guys, taking advantage of a great Jonathan Huberto pass. But uh, I would stick with those three guys 
at least short term. Give them a little bit of a leash here to see if they can build some chemistry together. Jonathan Huberto snaps a 12-game pointless streak. Next up, he's going to try to snap an 18-game goalless streak. And, you know, if he can find something with Lindholm and Sharon Govich and, and set them up for some goals, then, hey, maybe the Flames finally have that uh, first line they've been looking for all season long. Yeah, Wilsey, we're kind of on the same page in that it's too early to declare this one an automatic win, but the early returns look positive. The line dominated with a 70.37 Corsi 4 percentage when they were on the ice. Jonathan Huberto looked as good offensively to me as he has all season. Sharon Govich was Sharon Govich, and Elias Lindholm had some jump as well. It just looked like that trio had a lot more chemistry this time around than they did back in training camp and to start the season, and I think a lot of that falls on Huberto specifically. You mentioned the one assist, a beautiful cross-ice setup to Dennis Gilbert for his first of the season. We've talked a lot about how Huberto is more of an east-west than north-south player, and to me that play illustrated it quite a bit and you've got as you mentioned two of the team's best shooters if not the two best shooting forwards on Jonathan Huberto's line so now if you can create more of those east-west chances with Jonathan Huberto um, feeling it a little bit more in terms of his passing game I think you've got the makings of a successful line but again for me too early to declare it a win but you certainly go right back to it to see if they can continue to build and build and build and stack performance on top of each other. And maybe you can get that first line going. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't, I didn't mind it at all. I, um, I thought they looked good. I thought, you know, I thought they were, uh, I mean, for instance, the first goal against from Philadelphia, the one, nothing goal kind of came as a direct result of that line, coughing the puck up and not making up for it at the other end of the ice. And also a really nice pass from Ryan Paling over to Ristolainen. But you know, that key, I thought that they, and, and Kale McLean pretty much said as much to us post game, Wilsey on Sunday, that you know, they probably gave up too much or, or there were stretches where they gave up. But I think the promising thing is, they showed chemistry on the other end of the ice. And I think with Lindholm and Sharon Govich, you know how defensively responsible they are. So I don't really worry about that being a line that's going to consistently be poor defensively. But what I would be willing to take away on a positive side would be that they, they, they did show a little chemistry offensively. They, they did show a little bit of being able to read off one another. And, you know, there were a couple of opportunities specifically. And the one thing we haven't seen a whole lot of, to your point, going right back to the beginning of the question, Derek, is, you know, when they were put together early, you know, there was next to no confidence with, with number 17's game. And Sharon Govich was still really finding himself. Well, now that he seems to have been a whole lot more comfortable in what he is as a player, you know, I, I know it didn't convert, but there were two or three opportunities or two or three instances where Huberto set him up with really nice looks and, and felt like maybe there was something there between Huberto and Sharon Govich, which is promising, especially knowing that we're not necessarily expecting Lindholm to be here beyond March 8th. So seeing Sharon Govich and Huberdo have something together was really promising. So, yeah, that, that would be my big takeaway. It's one game, and, and it needs to be on a more regular basis. Huberdo said as much in his post game on Sunday as well that, yeah, you know what? One night's good, but this needs to be, for me, an everyday thing, and for the line, an everyday thing. But for one night, and having not seen it since October – I thought, uh, yeah, there were some positive things to build on. The other thing that I like about that line, at least in theory, is that you've got Jonathan Huberto on left wing. He's your best passer when he's right. You've got Elias Lindholm at center. And I think about where he's most dangerous with his shot. And for me, it's when he finds that soft spot in the middle of the ice, kind of between the circles. And then, and he's a right shot. 
And then you've got a left shot in Yegor Sharangovich, who can score from anywhere, including from the flank. So think about the types of passes that Jonathan Huberto likes to make. And I think a good example is the pass that he made to the goal that Dennis Gilbert scored. So he likes to try those cross ice through a seam passes that are a low percentage for most players in the league. But again, when he's feeling it, he can make those passes as often as anybody. So you've got a couple of different options there. You've got Lindholm in the middle. You've got Sharon Govich uh, across the ice on the other side, maybe shooting from the flank. And I think he's got the best one-timer on the team. So if Huberto can thread the needle on some of those passes, then I think it could uh, bode well for Lindholm, who's been shooting the puck, and Sharon Govich, uh, who's been shooting it and, and scoring a ton of goals, although he hasn't scored it five, and he's probably overdue right now. But uh, again, in theory... It's a line that should work. Uh, it hasn't worked, but that doesn't mean that it can't work or won't work. And I thought they took a, a step in the right direction on Sunday. It is the Daily Flames Roundtable. Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg on this Tuesday edition of Flames Talk. Gents, here we are. It's the first Daily Flames Roundtable of a new calendar year. 2024 is officially underway. We are, as Frank Saravalli told us earlier this hour, 66 days, because I can't do math, so I'll, I'll rely on him, 66 days from the 2024 NHL trade deadline. Guys, how do we take stock of this Flames team? Uh, well outside the playoff mix, but in the playoff. Well, well outside a playoff picture, but in the playoff mix, rather. Um, how do we take stock of this group? What's our read on the Flames? What's our feel on the Flames? as the midway mark approaches and a new calendar year begins? Well, it really depends if you're a glass half full or a glass half empty person, or if you're uh, on team tank or uh, on uh, the other side, uh, wanting the flames to fight uh, for their lives when it comes to trying to get into the Stanley cup playoffs, they're not in a great spot. And I guess what I'm wondering about 36 games into the season is if the Flames are going to be able to climb out of the hole that they dug themselves in with a 2-7-1 and one start in their first 10 games. Because since starting 2-7-1, and one, uh, doing some quick math here, the Flames are 13-9-4, which looks a lot better than 2-7-1, and one, uh, way above 500 as opposed to way below 500 in the win-loss column. I think one of the big challenges for this team, although they can take a, a couple of big steps in the right direction, with the first two games of this four-game road trip, not only are they five points out of the second wildcard spot on the Western Conference, there are five teams between them and that second wildcard spot, including the team they're playing tonight, the Wild. And then you've got the Blues, the Oilers, the Kraken, and the Coyotes. But here's how I can spin it. Here's how I can make it glass half full. Let's just say, for argument's sake, the Flames beat the Wild tonight and beat the Predators on Thursday night, which certainly isn't out of the realm of possibility. They get a little bit of help on the out-of-town scoreboard. The Flames could be maybe in the second wildcard spot in the Western Conference. Add four points to their totals. Well, not in the second one, but one point out of that and two points out of the first wildcard spot currently being held by the Predators. So it's, it's a season where every game feels so important. And I think the reason for that is because they started so slowly. When you put yourself behind the eight ball, going 2-7-1 and one in the first 10 games, you're going to be chasing all season long uh, if you're going to get to the playoffs. And Flames have been chasing in a lot of games, and they've been chasing since that 2-7-1 uh, and one start to the season. And if they're going to climb out of the hole or give themselves a chance to stay in the playoff race, guys, I think the first two games of this four-game road trip are going to be super important against a couple of the teams they're trying to catch in the Western Conference wildcard race. 
I feel like we're just going to find them in the mushy middle the rest of the way, to be perfectly honest. And if you scrap October altogether, which you can't do, it's not fair, but if you're even to hypothetically just pretend that October didn't exist, the Calgary Flames still find themselves from November 1 onward, 18th in the NHL in points percentage at 556. I would put them ninth in the Western Conference. Of course, that is just outside of a wild card spot. It's the absolutely most dreaded spot for the Calgary Flames to be that close, but not close enough. It doesn't really allow we're, them we're to quite dictate. We're used to that, aren't we? I mean, tradition. So you have that going for you, I guess. But that thing is also considering the fact that if you kept the 23-man roster and they just kept playing at this 556 pace since November 1, they're still going to be on the outside looking in. So I think that that's going to dictate a lot of what the Calgary Flames are going to look to do with their pending unrestricted free agents. And then suddenly if you start removing player X and player Y from this roster that you know sometimes play anywhere from 18 to 22 minutes a night, then suddenly you're going to be optimistic to even hit that 556 mark. So pending personnel decisions, I still think they're in roughly that middle gray area that nobody wants them to be, whether it be the go-for-it crew or the team tank crew. To me, I just kind of see them flirting with that, not quite in a playoff spot, but not too far out to completely abandon hope situation. Um, Well, I guess, I guess for me, guys, the way I take stock of them is kind of the limbo that they've been in since the puck dropped in October. It, it now feels like we're right in the pocket of the, the, kind of purgatory that they've been in Ooh, that's a good with, word. with their roster decisions being decided. And that, I think, is going to be a big thing for this team. And even for the on-ice product, I think it's going to be a big thing to finally have some of these massive decisions that are hanging over, not just the players that it directly affects, which absolutely has has made an impact. I think Elias Lindholm would be the guy that has made the impact on the most, at least as we are uh, speculating on the outside. But yeah, it'll it'll be a relief for Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin and, and Elias Lindholm. But, you know, guys, I think it'll just be a relief for the entire team. They know that the entire thing has been in flux here and it can be difficult to play with so many things hanging in the balance. So I think that's really going to help the overall mood of the group and Give them a ton of credit. They've been able to block out noise, and Ryan Huska's done a great job of having them work. But that is where I take stock of things right now, guys, is that they're in the mushy middle. They're not in a great spot. And because they're not in a great spot, I think as they approach the midway mark, they kind of have a pretty good idea of what they need to do. And so it feels like we're starting to approach those decisions being made and I think the other teams that are involved, I think the Flames have been ready to talk and deal for quite some time, but I think as other teams start to take stock of where they are and what they need to make a Stanley Cup run or a playoff run is really going to get them a whole lot closer to ponying up what the Flames are looking for in some of these deals. So that's really what, it is, what it's all about for me. And I just think about what what the Flames could look like if you take away their most consistent defense pairing, which you could absolutely see happen in Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev. It's been the defense pairing that's played the most together this season. Analytically, it's been their best pairing, and it's taken on some of the toughest matchups and some of the toughest deployments. It's like, oh boy, where would they be? What would things look like without Hannafin and Tanev and without Lindholm, potentially? It's just, it, it really makes you, it, it just, it, it, 
the the whole thing all season, Wilsey, and, and I know that you felt this too, has kind of just felt strange and weird because this has been hanging over them. Yep. Well, now that we're into the new year and now that we're just a little more than 60 days out from the trade deadline, it feels like we're moving towards a lot of resolution here. And uh, I, I think that'll be, that'll go a long way in just framing how we talk about them, how we think about them, and I think inside that locker room framing the way that they come to work as well with a lot of those decisions made and a lot of that uncertainty figured out here in the next number of weeks and months. Yeah, and in a way it'll make it easier on some of us as well because you know I try to look at the small picture, uh, and right now uh, coaches and players are trying to win hockey games, and they're trying to get back to 500, and they're trying to get above 500 for the first time in a long time, and uh, closer to or even in uh, a playoff spot. That's their focus right now. So, you know, I'm trying to to have the same focus. But bigger picture, you know, I would be surprised if all three or even two of the big pending UFAs were here after the March 8th trade deadline. Now, I think there's a better chance that all three guys get dealt than uh, even two of them signing. So we'll have to wait and see where that goes. I just it's hard for me to talk about, well, what if this guy gets traded and what if that guy gets traded? Because even if all three of these guys do eventually get traded, Hannafin, Lindholm, and Tanev, who are the Flames getting for them? What are the Flames getting for them? Are they getting a bunch of lottery tickets that uh, we're not going to know if uh, they cash in on those for two, three, four, five years? Or are they going to make the type of trade that they made when they sent Toffoli to the Devils in return for Sharon Govich in a third round pick where you bought one lottery ticket, but you got more of a known quantity who has turned out to be one of the best players in your team over the last couple of months. So there are so many ifs and buts out there right now. I mean, it's going to be hard for the Flames to, to get into a playoff spot and stay in one after that start to the season where they picked up uh, three of a possible 20 points in their first 10 games. But, you know, to their credit, they've continued to battle and take it one game at a time and, you know, t- try to to look at the small picture, which is what I did when I answered this question first time around. But, you know, bigger picture, chances are there are going to be some pretty significant changes between now and the NHL trade deadline. And, you know, it's uh, it's exciting in one sense that they're still fighting for a playoff spot. It's exciting in another sense that if they fall out of the race and they make these moves, well, then you can start to maybe focus on the future a little bit. And, you know, the, the young players have been exciting to watch. Uh, I think there's a pretty good chance we see another one of those guys in Jacob Pelche sometime in the month of January. So you're right, Pat. It's it's a little bit scattered right now. Uh, my thoughts, and I know the thoughts of many Flames fans out there, just because they're kind of caught in no man's land waiting uh, for a shoe to drop or multiple shoes to drop here. So uh, in a way, March 8th can't come soon enough. Just so we can kind of focus on on one thing as opposed to you know what direction this team's going in long term. It's a good point, Willsey. We don't know what the returns are going to be for these players if and when they're dealt beforehand. But I would wager a strong bet that after March eight, the Calgary Flames aren't as good of a team on ice on right. paper than they have right been now. so far yeah. right now. And as it stands on Tuesday, January second, Money Puck puts Calgary's playoff odds at eight point five percent. So if you're subtracting from that group as opposed to adding, I can't imagine that number jumps significantly without a massive winning streak for the Calgary Flames. Uh, thank you, Wilsey. We'll see you, in a, uh, see you in a little bit. 
All right, we'll see you soon. He is Derek Wills. He's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour on Flamestock. Thanks to uh, Cam and Taylor, our outstanding producers as well. And that'll wrap us up on our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills for popular colors, trims, and even wheel sizes. Check out the best curated collection of certified pre-owned Mercedes-Benz online at mercedesbenzcountryhills.ca.